Hello and a very warm welcome to this edition of Passions. And I'm so pleased today to be joined by Lee Connolly. And I was just telling him before I went on we went on air, I did actually Google him. He says he doesn't Google himself. Uh, but if you do Google him, you'll be amazed at his background, what he's done, the things he's done, the variety of what he's done. So thanks very much for joining me today, uh, Lee. Please tell us what your passion is and what you do. My pleasure. Thanks, Phil. Um, so um, I'm uh, I'm what's known as a creative director in the television industry, um, uh, which is uh, I'm neither I'm not uh, well I'm creative I hope I'm creative but I'm not a director as such but it's it's I suppose it's shorthand for producer. If 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 it was twenty years ago, I'd be a producer, a television producer, and that's what I consider myself as. And as for my passion, well, that's it in a nutshell. It's television in all its forms. And, you know, I'd imagine in our chat going forward now, you'll realise how um, incredibly diverse that passion is across that genre. It, it quite often is, or it certainly certainly can be, can't it? So, um, OK, so um, tell, tell me the story. Tell me the Lee Connolly story. I'm assuming you didn't just um, come out of the womb and be what we're watching the television in the in the hospital. Um, what exactly happened? How did it happen? How did it come about? Um, well, I suppose I didn't know that it was going to be my big passion in life, I suppose. It, um, it kind of crept up on me, you know, sort of unsuspectingly, really. And, you know, I'm a working class kid from a working class family in Liverpool, you know, and uh, we watched a load of telly when we were a kid, uh, when we were kids. And we even used to have to put 50 pences in the back of the telly because we had to um, hire the telly from Radio Rentals. And if you didn't have a 50p to go in the back of the telly, you couldn't watch it. But, um, and when I look back at that time, you know, and we used to we used to watch telly as a family at the weekends, you know, and, and watch all the great big game shows and variety shows. And, you know, we were real sort of lovers of that. But it, I suppose that I wasn't really aware of that at the time. And it wasn't until much later in life you know, how much of an effect that time had on me and, and, and what it would give me later on in life, you know, that, that sort of grounding in light entertainment and, and, and all things sort of TV related, really. And, um, you know, I can weirdly sort of remember moments in my childhood that are connected to like TV shows, you know, or, you know, uh, so, so like, you know, I remember sort of, um, you know, if I'm having Sunday lunch, and I, I, you know, and it might not even be true this. I don't know in terms of the scheduling of it. If I'm having Sunday lunch, all I can hear in the back of my mind now is the Black, Be Black Beauty theme. Do you remember Black Beauty, the show? Uh, something like this. Da -dum, da -da, da -dum, da -dum. Yeah. <laughs> I've never done that on this show ever before. Well, <laughs> <laughs> kind of like so. Anyway, it's it's deep in my sort of psyche the whole thing. Um, and then you kind of, you know, I suppose. I had a very in, very unusual way of starting to work in TV because, you know, being a kid in the late 70s and early 80s, um, television and working in television was such a, even though Granada was a massive thing in Manchester, um, working in television was just something that kids like me didn't do. You know, you got a, you, you were lucky, if you were lucky, you got an apprenticeship, you know, um, and, um, and that's what you did and, you know, not so much working class kids get working class jobs, but it's kind of very much like you did, you did what your dad did or you did what your uncle John did or your uncle John got you a job down at the local builder's yard and that's what you did and that's what you followed. And then you just, and, and you know, growing up in that environment, you kind of just did 
what came along, you know, what came, what, what, what came across your path you did. And, you know, the whole idea of working in, a, in an environment that was your real passion was just something that wasn't or didn't feel like it was open to people like me at that time. And so I did. I, I did. I got an apprenticeship. I became an apprentice scaffolder of all things. And so I started out life as a scaffolder. Did it? Did it tend to be just the univers for university kids? I'm generalising massively, but was there an element that was university or middle to higher class? Well, when I later, when I started in television, much later on, that clearly was the case. Of all the all my contemporaries in television when I first started, were all largely Oxbridge. Um, and didn't come from an environment like mine, didn't come from a background like mine. And there were very, very, very few people that I came across that were a little bit like me, very, very few. It's very different now, I have to say. Um, you know, so I suppose at that age, it, it just didn't even cross my path. I loved it. I loved telly. It was a big part of my life in terms of my, so my you know, my sort of like chilling out time and stuff. But I had, I mean, there was just, it was beyond the stars, beyond any reach of being able to work in it. I never even thought of it. And it wasn't until I got to around 25, 26, when, you know, I, I just didn't, I just thought, you know, I wanted a change in, in, in my life. And I didn't, I didn't want to be a sort of scaffolder forever, you know, and even though I'd, I'd moved into the office structure and, um, and I was, by then I was management, um, you know, I'd, I wasn't on the tools anymore as such. Um, I just, I just thought, oh God, is this my life forever at 26? And because I left school at 15 without any sort of qualifications, um, I, I just thought, you know what, I needed to, I needed to change me. So, so I went and got a couple of A levels, packed my job in, went to university to study art and culture of all things, God knows <laughs> why. Uh, but you just because back then, when I was 26, 27, 28 you know, um, there was a real big push to get kids that had become young adults back into education that had missed out first time around. And I was one of them. And so I, and so, and I got a real, I got a real sort of love for, you know, that academic world really quickly and, and, and re realized that I was pretty good at it. And, and I was really interested in it and I was a really diligent student and never missed a lecture. And, you know, um, and while I was at university, I started, um, uh, volunteering for a local radio station in Liverpool and um, quickly sort of realised that I, I, I had a real sort of love for it. Ended up presenting my own show on a Friday night. Um, and it was, listen, it was Sunshine Radio, 14, 13 a.m. with about 10 listeners. But I was producing and presenting my own show on a Friday night. You've got night. to start somewhere. I'm impressed That's already. Um, and then, you know, what, what happened then? So I was about 30. 29 30 when i came out of university having worked at the radio station part-time while i was at university for about a year and a half something and i had real pretensions then to get into radio and i really tried to get into radio i had a couple of meetings down in london but it was like you know with the bbc and they were disastrous disastrous meetings um it was you know it was like walking into an alien world where you know two or three Ox oxbridge types behind a desk and you'd be sat there and they'd be asking you all these questions. They were clearly much smarter than me, much more educated than me. They worked in a job that I really wanted to do. And I was so super nervous about it, even though I'm a pretty confident guy generally. And they were just disasters. And I came out of those sorts of meetings and interviews thinking, you know what? It's not for me. It's actually not for me. I should go back to what people like me do. I should go Where back you to belong. 
Yeah, go back. Awful, to the- isn't it? Yeah, where you belong. Awful, awful. awful. Anyway, that. Mm. So what I did. So I, I got my I got my two one from Liverpool University, and I had this radio experience, and it was the summertime, and I was thinking, what am I going to do? So I thought, you know what? I'll become a teacher. So I signed on to do a PGCE, which is the one year sort of extra um, postgraduate certificate you get to become a teacher. But during that summer, I had a chance meeting with a guy called Crispin Laser, who worked in television as a comedy producer. And what of a course, great name. What a great name that is. <laughs> his, name's, his, his name's Crispin Laser. I mean, like, I, I, I've <laughs> never, I've never met a Crispin in my life. And I met this guy um, through a mutual friend. And he was a brilliant guy, and I really liked him, even though he went to Oxford and his name was Crispin. And, you know, and he left Oxford and went straight into television as a comedy producer. Um, and, um, and anyway, I really liked him. And he just said to me, he said to me that summer, he said, why don't you come and work in telly? You'd be great to work in telly. And I said, oh, you know what? I've tried radio. It's not really for me. I've come down to London. You know, kids like me, you know, I need to be back in Liverpool, you know. And he and went... Just while, you're, just while you're talking about that, sorry to interrupt you, but were yeah. you um, were you conscious of your accent as well? Um, At that Back in those days when you were in that environment? No, I don't think so, because I think that... Um, I was, you know, I was, I, I was really, I'm, pr- I'm a proud northerner, you know. Yeah. And I, so I, I didn't feel like, even though nobody spoke like me particularly down in, in London, I, I didn't feel sort of inferior from that perspective. I suppose my, if I had any sort of inferior inferiority sort of complexes, it was around um, upbringing, I guess, and 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 the fact that you know, I I I I came from a loving home, but we were proper poor. You know, we lived in a council house. We put 50p's in the back of the telly, otherwise it didn't work. When, you know, and, and, and meeting yeah. these people, that, even though I had a degree, by then I've got a degree and I've got A-levels and I've, I've proved myself academically, I just always still felt they were much, much smarter than me. And so that was my inferiority. It, was, I don't, it didn't have anything to do with my accent. If anything, I used to sort of, I would, I would probably go more scouse the more pressure I felt in a situation where I felt uncomfortably inferior. I've become even more scouse rather than less so. And it may there is, the reason I ask you is because um, I can remember I, my career was similar in in sense that I went down south to work in down south in Peterborough and we used to go down, ended up in senior management and we used to go down on the train to London and obviously I'm a Mancunian and th- there are all these guys around me who were, were, you know, talking very much like that, you know, Surrey type of accents. And I always used to hear myself and think, God, you sound so common. And I was embarrassed at actually trying to become less Noel Gallagher, you know. Yeah. I and mean, I was embarrassed at doing it, but I was doing it, which is the reason I asked you the question. Yeah, yeah, no, no, no worries. You know, and maybe if I'd have been a bit younger, I might have been. But by then, you've got to remember that I'm 29, 30, so I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a grown man with a, with a, with quite a successful construction industry career behind me. Yeah. And it's, and I'd, I'd, I'd gained a lot of confidence from being able to enter into that academic world and, and succeed at it, you know, and be pretty good at it as well, which was, um, you know, which was a surprise to me and my parents and everybody that knew me, you know. But um, but anyway, it was kind of so. So yeah, anyway, so this guy in the summer, this Crispin who I met, just said to me, why don't you, you know, you should work in telly. And I was like, oh, you know, it's not for me. And he said, why don't you come and work for me just for the six week summer holiday and just see if you like it? And I went, oh, I don't know, you know, moving to London. He said, come and live with me. 
you know, um, me and my missus, you know, we've got a spare room, stay with me and you can be a researcher on um, a TV show called um, The People versus Jerry Sadowitz. Jerry Sadowitz is this mad, crazy um, Scottish magician stroke comedian who's, who's, uh, who's brilliant. And he had this like weird chat show back in the day. And, um, and, and, and I just wanted to you know what, why not? So I, I went down to London, stayed with Crispin and, and, and his partner for six weeks. And I remember in the first week of that job, I'm sat in the LWT tower on the South Bank on the 11th floor overlooking the river um, with a load of sort of really young, sort of vibrant, largely Oxbridge educated uh, people who were, in, who were in this incredible environment, this really creative environment. And I, I remember sitting there, you know, about after about three or four days and definitely still in the first week and thinking, have I died and gone to heaven here? This is, do, do, do people actually get paid to do this stuff? Because I'd do it for free. It was, it was, it was like, oh my God. This, and I, I swear to you, by the end of that week, I'd made my mind up. I was never going back north. You know, I, you know, I was going to stay right there in London and I was going to make this work as a job for me because right at that very moment, that for me, that was it. I was like, this is the job for me. I could not believe people got paid to do it. I thought people would do it for free. It was that good. And so all that enthusiasm and all that passion really came out. And I literally stayed at LWT uh, that became, later became, you know, you know, Granada and all the different incarnations that I, and Carlton and all the different incarnations that ITV was. I stayed there for 20 years and only left two, two years ago. And I started as a researcher and a couple of years later became a, an, a, an AP uh, on all the Cilla Black shows and all the Michael Barrymore shows. And I was learning all this amazing stuff, you know, on those shows. So, you know, it's like, you know, moment of truth and surprise, surprise. And, you know, my kind of music with Michael Barrymore and kids say the funniest things and Barrymore, the chat show and all these amazing shows and all these amazing, I mean, Michael Barrymore and Cilla Black at the time were the biggest stars on television and I'm working in their, on their shows. It's amazing. And then, you know, literally, five or six years into my sort of TV career. Um, I think I'd just done, um, I just uh, helped set up Saturday Night Takeaway, um, the first series and helped develop that and helped produce that first series as one of many producers. Uh, and I, then I got offered the, um, the, the, the uh, I got offered the job to produce um, Scylla on Blind Date. And I was like, Blind Date? Well, I was going to ask you that actually because I've asked this a few people that we've interviewed. And was there a do you ever remember a moment when you kind of suddenly thought, How the hell did this happen? When you were, you know, I mean, I guess in the early days, was there an element of being starstruck and being like, Wow, these are the people that everybody knows? And you know, or did you take it for granted and take it in your stride fairly quickly? Well, weirdly, and this is the thing that I think massively helped me. A, I'm, I'm relatively old starting off in television. I'm 29, 30, right? So that's old, you know, because most of my contemporaries who were researchers were 21, 22, 23, right? So I'm, I'm eight, nine years older than everybody else. But also I'd had this life, you know, I'd left school at 15, you know, become quite successful in the construction industry, left it all, went back to university. Most people had just been to, they went to school, did their A-levels, went to university, started in telly. 
I'd had this whole life. So, so meeting Michael Barrymore and Stella Black and meeting all, meeting all these amazing producers and controllers of entertainment and all that sort of stuff, I took it all in my stride because, you know, it was like, well, first of all, it was like really exciting for me, but not intimidating. And I think that's one of the reasons why I climbed the ladder so quickly is I just wasn't intimidated at all by anybody. If anything, I was the opposite. I was probably, you know, sort of like, you know, I didn't care that it, that Michael Barrymore was was um, was in the room. You know, I'd just go in, have a chat. It's only my, you know, he's it's Michael Barrymore. Yeah, no, I'll just go in and have a chat. And that's a little bit of your northern sensibility coming in as well. You know, you kind of go, oh, we're all dead friendly, aren't we, up north? So you can, <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and yeah, and so and I was. And in many ways, and a lot of producers that I worked for in the early days used to say to me that I was a breath of fresh air because, you know, I was a little bit older. I'd had this life beforehand. You know, I had all this sort of confidence and this. And, and, and what they realized really quickly is I had this encyclopedic knowledge of telly going back years and years and years because I'd watched it. I'd sat there. I'm the, I'm the viewer. You know what I mean? So when Michael Barrymore or Scylla, when Scylla Black is doing Blind Dates, you know, and all those years she was doing blind dates. I'm the one at home watching it before I go out on a Saturday night, you know, and kind of like, so I, what came across really quickly is my 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 fandom, I suppose, of, of telly came across as real insightful knowledge um, when I started in the industry. So I was glad I spent all those years watching telly. <laughs> yeah. I, had, I had great knowledge of it. And, and, yeah. and of course, I think what, what really struck me was that and this is the this is the interesting thing about the whole passion thing is when you've got a real passion for something, and, and I quickly realised I had this massive passion for it all. Every the, the job itself is pretty easy because you've got real passion for it. It's not hard, you know. It gets harder later when you've got other bigger responsibilities and you're running teams and you're running you know budgets and your responsibility levels go through the roof. But in those early days, when you're you know someone says to you, you know, I need um. I need uh, I need a contestant who's done such and such and such. I need someone, you know, we need a family that's such and such, you know, on this show. I'd just go out and find them and be like, yeah, no problem. They're a piece of cake. And um, so, yeah, so I, uh, so that's one of the reasons why I think I, I, I climbed the ladder. And then just go back to your question about was there a moment when I realised that, um, like almost like not quite an out-of-body experience, but I remember that my first... My first uh, show as a proper producer, and when I say a proper producer, I mean the guy in charge. I don't mean today there's 50 producers on every show and you never know which one is running it. But back back then, if you were the producer, you know, you ran the show. And so I, I and my first, my first blind date show that I produced, so that my first producer credits that comes right at the end of the credits where your producer Lee Connolly came up, I was like, wow. I'd never, ever expected that to happen in my life. And I remember that my girlfriend at the time, I was round at the, her parents' house and it was, and, and we were watching the show and her parents, quite well to do, um, you know, I don't think, I don't think they even realised there was a channel three button on their telly. They just used to watch BBC One, BBC Two. And, um, and once they suffered all the way through blind dates, and then we got when it got to the end, uh, the, my girlfriend's mother stood up and went, "Okay, that's it. We can turn it off now." And she went and turned the telly off. I'm like, "No, we've got to wait for the credits to go past." <laughs> and I managed to get the telly back on, 
just in time for the name to come say producer Lee Connolly, you know, kind of like. And um, so anyway, so that was for me, that was the real proper beginning where I just thought, wow, this is this is gonna be my 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 life, you know. And was the I mean, one of the things that um I've noticed as we've gone through this journey of interviewing people and, and researching this whole area of passions is um to what degree because the passion is so deep or because the passion is so broad it means that you will go to that extra level to learn and educate yourself to become the very best you can be is that yeah. something you can relate to yeah no totally i think that you know um i think when, when you've got a real passion for something and you 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 know, you're living to work. It's a bit of a cliche, but you're living to work. I mean, you kind of, you, you know, I used to, I used to bounce into work, you know, I, I'd wake up in the morning and I'd be like, brilliant, it's work, I can go to work. And how many people can say that? Very few people, very, very few, very lucky people. And I remember I used to, and I used to sort of bounce my, bounce all the way. So I was living in Brixton, bounce my way to the South Bank and I'd get into the, and you'd be waiting for the lifts, you know, for about half an hour, you know, and you kind of lifts would come and you get in the lift. And I'd be like, I'd be, I'd be, you know, I'd, I'd be on my toes. I'm thinking, great, a day at work. I can't wait to see what the day brings, you know. And sometimes there'd be people in the lift and be like, oh god, another day here. And I'd be like, what are you talking about? Another so, day. So Sunday nights you were excited, whereas everybody else wanted to jump off a bridge. Sundays, I'd be if I had the opportunity to, and this is what I used to do as well. Is if there were any shows happening at the weekends that weren't even my shows, I'd be there, you know, and I'd be volunteering to help out on anybody else's shows. And if I ever give any advice to any kids that come through, you know, I'd just say, don't just don't let your day stop, you know, at six o'clock and the show that you're working on. Constantly think about, you know, um, um, exploring other, you know, shows and other things and and build up your knowledge and your experience because it all helps and you know and if and if there's a big show that comes on telly that some other company are making the bbc have got a brand new game show on and you're in the game show business watch it because you need to know what it's like don't just go well i'm just doing this and i'm not interested in that you've got to you know you've got to know what every, you've got to know everything about it and consume it and when you've got a real passion for it you do it naturally anyway and you do it because it's like a second nature and that's the difference, I think, between people that are really passionate about their jobs and people that just just see it as a job, is that when when you've got a passion for something, you don't work nine to six. You just work nonstop. You get yeah. up in the morning, think about it. You go to bed at night. You're still thinking about it. And I, and I, and, I, and some people would say that that's really unhealthy. No, it's not. Not not when you've got a passion. For not it. if you love it. Yeah, yeah. You're spending time yeah. with what you love. Why, why wouldn't you? Why, why wouldn't you do it? Yeah. You, if, yeah. If you're lucky enough to have a job that you love, you know, I came from an area where people did jobs that they hated, but they did them because they had to work, they, they had to sort of, yeah. you know, work to live, yeah. you know, what I mean? without getting up at half six in the morning and going on a building site and picking up scaffolding tubes and hauling them up the side of a building. They've got no money. They can't live. I've got, I'm, all my mates are like that up north, you know, they've got jobs that they can't bear, but they do it because, it provides and i'm in this amazing position where um i'm doing something that i absolutely love and lo and behold it pays quite well which is you know cherry on the cake <laughs> you know and as people used to say to me you know well money's great in telly isn't it i go i don't know 
You know, it's kind of like I, if if they pay, you know, and I would never say this to, well, I can now because I'm my, I'm my own boss, but, um, you know, they could have paid me a quarter of what they paid me and I'd have still done it. I'd have still done it. If, if you if you analyse your passion for it, what are there certain elements of it or certain components of it that are particularly more um you're more passionate about because if you, if you talk about production or producing it's a, it's a it's a number of different things isn't it you know if, if you say for example you're passionate about the simplest form fishing you're passionate about going out putting the rod in hoping you catch something pulling it out and off you go home but producing i guess talk me through all the different components of producing that because I'm, I'm sorry I, I can imagine that people watch these shows and it's a bit like events, isn't it? People watch these shows and I'm sure they've got absolutely no idea the amount of work and effort and energy that has to go into producing a show, the likes of, you know, Saturday Night Takeaway as an example, where there's so much going on. Are there particular components of it that you enjoyed more or enjoy more? Um, I think I think that the thing that, um, I mean, I loved, loved being a researcher and an AP in those early days, because you, you know, you would, you'd become a sort of an expert, you know, you'd do a show for six months and during that six months, you'd become an expert at whatever that show was. And it could be a comedy show or an entertainment show, a quiz show, a game show, it could be anything. And, and, and the research that you put into it, you'd, you'd get to know really, really well. And, um, and what you'd do is you'd collate all this information and come up with all these ideas around the information that you were collating and then present that forward into the producers uh, for them to decide whether they were going to include it in the show or not. So it was an incredibly creative process. Um, and the reason why I loved those that time is because, yes, you had a bit of pressure on you to come up with the goods, but the ultimate pressure wasn't yours. You know, because you had a freedom of thought. So you could kind of go, the producer says to you, I want, you know, a certain type of thing for the show. And your job is to go out and find it and research it and present it. And then if that ended up making its way onto the telly and it was really good part of the show, you'd be like, wow, without me, that wouldn't have happened. Without me going out and figuring all that out and presenting it forward, it wouldn't have happened. And so I, I loved all that side of things and I still love that side of things now because ultimately telly, you know, and, and, and sort of light entertainment and well, television largely across the board, you know, from drama right through to, you know, you know, factual documentaries is it starts with an idea. It takes somebody really creative to to write that idea up and to in, and research that idea and to and to figure out how best to pitch that idea. Then you've got to figure out who to pitch it to and how to pitch it to them. And then you've got to try and get the money in to make it once it gets commissioned. And then you've got to manage it from the beginning right the way through to the end. And then you see it on the telly, you know, in, and and you hope then that people like it. And and um, and that process is the same kind of no matter what you do in telly. And some people are better at some bits of it and other people are better at other bits of it. But for me, I was always, you know, that I love that idea of starting with just, it's almost like you start with a blank sheet of paper and then you build and 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 then you see it right the way through to fruition. And you see it right at the very end. And that's why people like me, I suppose, end up running things running large slates like I was at ITV and all that type of stuff is because my knowledge base goes from the right from the very 
acorn of it right the way through to the delivery of it and everything and i love every 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 bit of it but my but the, my favorite bit is that beginning creative bit where you're 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 thinking about things and bringing it together and figuring out how figuring out exactly what it is and that's the joy when you get further up the ladder and further up the responsibility chain and you get further up the um you get you know you become much more accountable for what ends up being on screen it you know the pressures start to mount and 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 uh uh, and it becomes a little less enjoyable because you know you can you can pour your heart and soul into something and you think it's brilliant and you put it on the telly and nobody watches you know or it, yeah, gets, criticized, yeah. or it gets criticized in the press you know because they think it's a load of rubbish and you're like I, I, you know what what that's my baby. how very dare you <laughs> it's, 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 how can you not see that it's brilliant you know um, but there's one thing, and, and I won't. I won't. I promise not to name drop too much all the way through. And, and you, you, probably, do. you probably know me well enough now to realise that um, um, it doesn't matter to me. Any, you know, it's kind of like they're just people. They're just people, aren't they? Yeah. Um, Jonathan Ross said to me, um, I, I did load. I did, you know, sort of two hundred Jonathan Ross chat shows on ITV, and over two hundred shows, and. Um, and, uh, you know, I wasn't doing the day-to-day -day nuts and bolts of the show because, you know, you've got teams to do that, right? But you're, you're there and you're sort of overseeing stuff. And um, Jonathan said to me one day, he said, um, the one thing about this business that you've, that you've got to really understand, and if you don't understand it, you, you will fall and you will fall from a great height, is you've got to understand that nothing is personal. Don't ever take anything personally. So you, you put your heart and soul into a show and you put it on the telly and nobody likes it, don't take it personally. If you pitch a show into somebody and they turn it down, don't take it personally. If you work for a company for 20 years and they decide to get, you know, you, you, people lose their jobs, you know, um, and it's taken out of their own, you know, out of, you know, they don't decide to leave, they get chucked out, which happened a lot when I was at ITV. Don't take it personally, you know, because if you do, nothing down for you. And Jonathan said that to me and I always remembered that. And I just thought, actually, you know, it helps me. So when I work really hard on a pitch and put it in and the, and ITV or BBC or Channel 4, they turn it down, I just go, right, okay, fair enough. I'll just make sure that the next thing I pitch to you is something that you're going to really love. And that's the way you've got to be. You've just got to get rid of it. Get rid of all that negativity because in this industry, there's no room for anybody that's negative. You can only be positive. And you've got to be glass half full because if you're not, it's a, it's too, it's too cruel. It's too cruel a sort of industry to to not be positive. I came across something uh, a few years ago now that really stuck with me, particularly relating to sales. You know, we do training and coaching and and consultancy and business development, and they called it the five SWs. And they they said some will, some won't. So what? Stop whining. Someone's waiting. <laughs> and I thought that was just something that you can remember and that ended up going on a poster on the wall and yeah. and it's so true isn't it you know yeah. someone someone's waiting for your next bit of genius do you think Lee do you think you can learn creativity or is it just in you um I think I I, I think I think it's in you I think you can learn to be creative in a in a in a different type of space that you inhabit well, I think you've got to be—you've got to be born a creative person. I think. I think you've got to have creativity within you, you know. And when I look back to my childhood, and I didn't know it at the time, but um, when you know, when I look back at the way I was and what I did, and 
the things that I used to sort of like doing and how I went about it. It's all there, you know, you can spot it a mile away and I can spot it now and I can see it in my kids, you know, I can see, um, you know, and, and in other people's kids, you know, you can see the ones that are creative and the ones that aren't. And, uh, and it's no, it's no bad thing. You know, it's kind of like everybody's, you know, there's something for everybody, isn't there? But I think if you've got a bit of a creative gene, you can, you can adapt it. It doesn't, it doesn't have to be, Oh, I'm a great painter. And so that's it. I think if you're, you know, do, it's not lost on me that, you know, and, and I always say this as well. And I always say this to, to you know, if, if I ever speak to young people and stuff like that, I go to my daughter's school every now and then do chats to the, to the, to the six formers and stuff. It's like, it doesn't matter what you end up doing in life in some ways, as long as you love doing it. Because if you're really lucky enough to find something that you love doing, great. It doesn't matter what it is, you know. And if and if for some reason that you're you're not quite doing the thing that you really want to do, but you're stuck doing something else in the meantime, be brilliant at it regardless. So if you're a scaffolder, be the best scaffolder you can be. If you're a, you know, if you're working at Sainsbury's stacking the shelves, be the best bloody shelf stacker they've got do you know what i mean excel in your because if you're excelling in your in, in in your life that you feel as though you're excelling in your life and you you're passionate about it and you're bringing a lot to it that that can be adapted into any given situation and i feel that way about creativity it's very clear to me that you're you're obviously and always have been what one might call aspirational or ambitious is that something that has developed over time or have you again is that something that's nature as opposed to nurture and curiosity ambition aspiration wanting to be the best you can be in what you do i i think i think i don't think I've, maybe maybe um subconsciously i'm ambitious i'm not sure I, i'm consciously ambitious because i've never I think the business, the business that I work, work in is very political at times. And I think you, if you're really clever politically, you can maneuver your way through the business um, um, without ever sort of falling at any of the hurdles, you know, and I've never really been that way. I've much, I've been much more heart on sleeve, you know, just go for it. And as long as I'm happy about what's happening and what I'm doing, then I'll just go for it. And, um, and so I don't think that, uh, maybe subconsciously I am, but certainly not consciously, but aspirational and, um, and, um, and aspiring towards things, absolutely. You know, I would just, I would pour my heart and soul into, into anything and everything that I, that, that I felt sort of passionate about. And, um, and it's always, it stood me in good stead. You know? and, then, and then I guess you had to develop some pretty strong leadership skills as you started to get more into the, management side if you like and you had to start to get people to and influence people to do what you wanted in the time scales you needed it to be done was that was that when you started to develop leadership skills as well well the, the great thing about it is i brought lots of leadership skills with me into the industry because of my previous life so so you know i mean you know i talk i often talk about the fact that i was a scaffolder you know and all that type of stuff. but in truth by the age of 21 i'd moved into the office and became management you know, so really early doors, I'd, 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 you know what I mean? Yeah. And, and, you know, I don't know whether you've ever met any scaffolders. They're a rough <clears> one. <throat> and at 21, I'm managing 100 scaffolders all over um, the, the southwest England. I'd moved down to Portsmouth um, by then. And, um, and they were tough. And I'm 21. 
And I was managing them, you know, and you kind of go, and if you can manage them at 21, managing a TV crew, you know what I mean? It's like, you know, and, and I sort of, so, so I suppose that it all came quite easy to me all that, you know, and I was really fortunate in that way. And again, it's probably one of the reasons why I climbed the ladder so quickly as well is because, you know, I demonstrated those skills really early, really early on to, to the people that were watching. Um, but yeah, so so it wasn't. I didn't ever feel like it was. It was something I developed before I came anywhere near the industry. You reminded me actually of a story that um, I managed to interview the comedian Stan Boardman a few years ago. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And, I and, I, I, yeah, and, and I said to him, um, he, he said to me, I said, "How did you become a comedian? What made you want to become a comedian?" And he said, "I was a pipe fitter welder." And I was so cold all the time. I just wanted to be inside. <laughs> <laughs> Good and he was dead serious. He said, I just, I just dreamed of being in a job that was inside. And I suddenly thought, found I could make people laugh and I wouldn't be cold anymore. Brilliant. So it's just, just a funny thing around, around, around motivations and such yeah. like. So finally then, um, television's changed. Television's changing at, at a staggering uh, scale and a staggering pace. Um, where do you think, and I know you're not Nostradamus, but where do you think television might go in the next few years as the internet continues to take over the world? Um, well, I think that the great thing about being a content provider, which is, you know, sort of, um, industry speak for people that make stuff is that the more and more platforms there are, the more places you can sell your words, the more places you can, you know, take your ideas and say, you know, what about this? What about the, what about this? The problem is, is because it becomes so fractured that, you know, when we were kids, you know, 20 million, 20 million people will watch Blind Date. Well, if you put Blind Date on the telly now, it'd get 2 million, you know, and you kind of go, so your reach is nowhere near it was before. And so that, you know, and, and in many ways, the knock on effect of having lots and lots of platforms and lots of streamers and, you know, look, we all know that network television is is a dodo industry and in 10 years time, they'll probably only be the BBC or something, who knows, but and it all moved online anyway, um, is that there'll always be a need for content. Mm. It's how that content is created is what will massively, massively change. The platforms are always gonna change. So 20, 30 years ago, there was, you know, there were four channels and then all of a sudden channel five tips up. Well, be you know, before Sky and all that type of stuff. And then look at the differences that Sky brought in and then look at all the differences that digital brought in. And now look at the streamers, you know, I mean, Netflix, it only felt like yesterday, Netflix was something that you, they delivered you a DVD through the front door. You, you know, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Yeah, I do. <laughs> Now, do, yeah. you know, it's kind of like Amazon, you know, Amazon, what content provider, don't they, do, you know, it's, it's cardboard boxes, aren't they? And it's kind of like, so, you know, and, you know, you've got all the new ones, you know, and Disney have got their own platform and Sony have got a platform and, you know, it, it's just, it, that's all never ending. And, uh, and so all the platform, the way that we consume content from television is going to massively change and keep changing and keep changing in the way that we sort of view it and that's that's obvious and everyone knows that but it's it's the way it's created and the way it finds itself to those platforms is the really interesting thing for me and the way it is now all the middle stuff has gone so now it's all about really great big telly so i'm talking about 
you know, another series of line of duty, you know, big, big sort of event piece of drama that everyone's looking forward to. 10 million people tune in, you know, and then you've got the, uh, from a t entertainment perspective, you've got, it's Bake Off again. How brilliant. It's, I'm a celebrity, get me out of here for the next three weeks. How brilliant, you know, and so all those things that people look forward to. And that's kind of the same as like, you know, the World Cup or the European Championships or, you know, the, um, the Masters Golf or whatever it is, these, these big event type pieces that are in entertainment, drama, sports, that sit in the schedules. The rest of it, I think is all really is going to become and is becoming and kind of is already is relatively low cost, relatively cheap, factual, fact dent entertainment, cheaper ways of doing drama and sort of and all that stuff. That's a lot of it's quite entry level stuff. And, you know, um, you know, I mean, I'm making a show at the moment um, that uh, I make, uh, yeah, I make a, a Sunday morning show for ITV at the moment. You know, it's got Alan, it's Alan Titchmarsh. It's a lovely magazine style show out in the countryside. Has lots of celebrity guests come in. It's really lovely type of lovely show. Yeah, the I've seen it. Yeah, the, the lovely weekend. The money that yeah. we get paid for that, the cash that we, you know, the budget we receive for that is, you would, you, it would, it would make your eyes water how low the cost of that show is. And if you can put, and, and if I was making that show 20 years ago, I'd have got four times the cost for it. Wow. And, and, but that's, but that's because the way that we make television now is massively changed. And I think that, you know, in five or 10 years time, you won't eat, you just do it on that. And that's happening kind of now people are making shows now. I mean, my son, who's 10, can, films makes his own little films on his iPhone and edits them himself on the iPhone, and they're really good. And you kind of go, so that's where that you know. So there'll be loads of all this amazing, loads of crap, tons of crap, tons of stuff that we, you, you know you've got to trawl through. You know, there's a uh, um, um, Sean Walsh, uh, the comic, does this great gag about Netflix, where he kind of goes, "Me and my girlfriend, you know, we don't watch linear television. We don't watch." you know, networks and stuff. We just, when we get in at night after work, you know, we let's see what's on Netflix. And they, and they go, right, let's have a look. And they go, no, 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 no. Hold on, go back, go back. Oh, seeing it. No, no. <laughs> it's true, yeah, isn't it? It's true, isn't it? Right, because there's so yeah. much shit. Sorry for swearing. There's so much crap that you just kind of go, actually, finding something really good to watch is quite hard. And that whole word of mouth thing, which happens loads now, where people go, oh, my God, have you seen Your Honour on Sky? It's, like, really good. It's got Brian Cranston in it. I, if I were you, I'd watch it. And that's where you get your recommendations from now. So instead of going to Sean Walsh, no, 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 you go, oh, Mary at work, you know, the other day said she'd watched Your Honour on Sky. We, maybe we should give that a go. And that's how people are getting to find out what to watch in this sea of stuff that's out there. And that's, it's that's the same on YouTube as well, isn't it? Yeah. You know, you've got, but you know, I, I always think with YouTube is I don't care how much crap there is. I don't care how many, how many kittens there are falling out of trees. The particular shows that I like, I can access immediately, anywhere, anytime. And I love yeah. that show. And the yeah. fact there's periphery stuff going on all over the place. I'm not really that bothered and not interested. I just home in on what I want. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that proliferation of, you know, and that, that spread of content and that the amount of, of, of platforms you can find for your, for your, for your creative words is huge and will only get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. But the bigger that gets, the smaller the budgets get. 
apart from the really big eventy type stuff. So it's just finding ways to make it work. Lee, thanks very much for joining me today. Wow, I really enjoyed that, I have to say. My pleasure. My pleasure. As somebody that probably always met, you know, when they say, "What would if you hadn't ended up what you would what you're doing? What would you be doing?" Television is probably your career. Probably would have been my career if I'd been in a parallel universe and had a similar kind of opportunity. So, it's as a on a personal level, it's fascinating to hear your stories. Fascinating to hear you speak about it. So, I really appreciate your time. It's been very very enjoyable, and uh, thank you very much indeed for joining us. You know, part of what we're about is inspiring people to find, connect with their passion and then make a living from it. And what a great inspiration you you are to people in that arena. Oh, well, thank you very much, Phil. It's been, it's been a pleasure, mate. Thank you very much. Thanks, Lee. Cheers. Cheers. Bye.